Oh, hi there. Welcome once again to the program. Kicking off another week here in Tia. We're going to talk a lot about the Vancouver Canucks and their situation. In one hour, we will head it to Jim Rutherford uh, of the Vancouver Canucks and his press conference um, dealing with and discussing the Tanner Pearson injury, subsequent surgeries. Um, we've heard players, most notably Quinn Hughes, comment on it. Uh, we know the National Hockey League Players Association will be weighing in and, and having a look at what exactly is going on here as well. The one area we haven't heard from is the team, and we'll hear from Jim Rutherford coming up in about an hour. I would imagine as well uh, that there'll be plenty of questions about the situation involving Bruce Boudreaux as the head coach or the sort of head coach as uh, they wait for Rick Tockett to uh, to come aboard officially here. Look, we're going to park some time here and talk about Boudreaux, um, who's one of the most popular coaches uh, in the NHL. Uh, he's your classic underdog. He has won at every level, either as a player or a coach. Uh, he's won championships uh, in every league he's been part of, except uh, for the National Hockey League. And he, But listen, he's taken some teams real close, and he's got great performances out of a, a lot of players. got a great performance out of the Vancouver Canucks last season. But we all know that at every step of the way, specifically this season, he's been undercut um, by management of the Vancouver Canucks, whether it was various Jim Rutherford interviews at the beginning of the season uh, where the talk was about structure and looking back last year and saying, ah, we weren't really that good. We were just propped up by Thatcher Demko. Um, The point that I've been making in the last little while about Boudreaux is... The team may have, and by that I mean management, the Vancouver Canucks organization may have given up on Bruce Boudreaux a long time ago, but it doesn't seem as if the players have at all. Case in point, see yesterday's game against the Carolina Hurricanes, and we heard Bo Horvat commenting on that yesterday, but they haven't quit on the coach, and Horvat is his own story, and we'll get into that a little bit later on as well. Um, but he is the players' coach. I remember, you know, I remember um, at the Kevin at Kevin Bieksa night in Vancouver, and we showed the viz on Hockey Night in Canada. You've seen it online as well, where Bieksa is addressing the Vancouver Canucks, and one of the first things he says is, "You're lucky to have a coach like Bruce Boudreaux. He lets you guys play." which is a real luxury in the NHL. And wherever Bruce Boudreaux has gone, whether it's the the Washington Capitals, who, by the way, completely saved their season uh, when he joined, jumping up from the Hershey Bears of the American Hockey League after they fired Glenn Hanlon back in 2007, um, completely saved their season, made it to the, the playoffs that year. And a lot of that was Bruce Boudreaux letting the guys play. Ditto for the Anaheim Ducks and Minnesota Wild etc. Um, players love it, by and large, and he is a, a an old-school players guy, a player's first guy. Um, so he's he's created himself a lot of favor over the years in the National Hockey League. Nobody enjoys this. Nobody enjoys watching Bruce Boudreaux go through this, and I think the capper was, was Saturday night when uh, after that loss, um, Boudreaux said, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, I, I just show up uh, every day until they tell me not to show up to do my job. And we're all waiting now for the official word. And maybe it comes this week. It should come this week. Maybe it comes next week. Who knows? I don't know how much longer they're going to drag Bruce Boudreaux through this. Um, still waiting the official news that Rick Tockett is a new coach of the Vancouver Canucks. This is a situation that nobody likes. Certainly, we think of Bruce Boudreaux right away. He does not like this at all. I don't think Rick Tockett likes this at all. Like We're trying to all 
put ourselves in everybody's place here. Put yourself in Jim Rutherford's place. Put yourself in Patrick Galvin's place. Put yourself in Bruce Boudreaux's place. Put yourself in Mike Yo's place. And put yourself in Rick Tockett's place. Nobody enjoys this. Bruce doesn't enjoy what he's going through. I don't think Mike Yo is an assistant. Enjoys what you know uh, his head coach and the entire coaching staff is going through as well. I don't think Rick Tockett likes this. Like how awkward is that first press conference going to be when he's finally named after all we've been you know we've we've known about this for a while and speculated upon it and there doesn't seem to be any immediate movement maybe hopefully that changes and I don't think Jim Rutherford likes this Jim Rutherford is a hockey hall of famer Jim Rutherford is one of the most respected managers in this game and has been going back to his days with the Carolina Hurricanes where he won his first Stanley Cup you know, I don't know that it's, I mean, first of all, it's not helping the reputation at all. Um, I don't think the Vancouver Canucks as an organization are particularly portrayed in a positive light through all of this. Like this is honestly one of those situations that nobody likes, that nobody is enjoying. And as as has been pointed out before to me by various people that have gone through various things, there's no such thing as rock bottom. In any situation, there's always lower than you can go. All you can do as a human being and all you can do as an organization is decide to stop digging. And hopefully the Vancouver Canucks decide to stop digging. Let's get the show started. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Coming up at the bottom of this hour, by the way, Mike Murphy, former uh, NHL VP of Hockey Operations, will stop by. Um, we'll talk to him about his uh, his tenure in the NHL, both as a player that stretches back to 1971, originally drafted by the New York Rangers. Uh, his tenure as a player, his tenure as a coach, his tenure working uh, in the NHL, and recently calling it a career, even though it sounds like the NHL is bringing him back for a couple of uh, emergency war room sessions, maybe a, a week here or a couple of days there. Anyway, Mike Murphy joins us at the bottom of the hour. Hour two, we will cover the Jim Rutherford press conference presented to you. And then Joey Kenward will uh, talk to us uh, about some uh, some memories of the late Gino Ojik. And with that is where we'll start with Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada. Um, Elliot, we're going to talk a lot about the Vancouver Canucks today here on this program. Uh, we'll probably talk more about the Vancouver Canucks in the next few days as well until the, the talkit news is official. Um, but let's start by talking about Gino Ojik quickly. Uh, I thought you spoke really you know, beautifully about Ojik on the podcast that just came out this morning. Um, he was just one of the most loved people in Vancouver Canucks history, not just because of how he played, and markets always love their tough guys, but who he befriended, why he befriended them, uh, how loyal he was to teammates, like all the things that go into making an exemplary hockey player. Gino Ojik was that guy. Your thoughts on the late Gino Ojik who passes away yesterday at the age of 52. Well, I, I think you hit it there, Jeff. Like that was a, there was a whole generation. It seems like a, I think a lot of people would have uh, who, who uh, are either younger or only started watching hockey uh, in the last generation or so probably uh, wouldn't understand how it all works. But as you said, there was a time when uh, the the fighter on a team or the enforcer on a team was one of the most beloved players. And that was just everywhere. I mean, you look at uh, Ty Domi in Toronto, Chris King in Winnipeg, um, 
Mm-hmm. Kelly Chase in St. Louis, uh, the late Bob Probert and Joey Koser in, in Detroit, uh, Dave Brown in Philadelphia, Dave Semenko in Edmonton. <clears throat> I mean, you could go yeah. Tim Hunter in Calgary. I mean, you could go up and down the league. And, uh, Marty McSorley. All, uh, Marty McSorley. And, and it wasn't it was it was kind of a, a interesting thing too like a lot of the the enforcers not only were they beloved by the fans and their teammates for what they did on the ice but many of them were some of the most charitable players on their teams too and i don't know why that was but i remember uh, early in my career uh, <coughs> just people telling me about that like uh like the, like a number of teams would say that whoever did the most fighting seemed to be the most charity minded person on their teams. And um, Mm -hmm. so I I think they were, you know, beloved for a lot of those reasons. Um, I think it was Ian McIntyre who had a tweet today about uh, interviewing Ojik once at a coffee shop and, you know, people seeing them in there and coming and sitting near them to hear the stories. (laughs) So, I mean, these are, these are hugely, and, you you think too, like Jeff. I, I know, obviously, you're a huge student of the game, but think of the the gauntlet of players that you had to fight back in his day, like oh. fearsome, fearsome, fearsome fighters, and he did it without complaint. And um, I, I think the the thing that's really interesting is is the whole Burry relationship too. Like two guys who hmm. came from very different backgrounds, but they also felt like. Uh, outsiders a bit and they bonded over that and it was a loyal friendship for a long time it's uh i think that really resonates with people you know i'm going to talk to to mike murphy here at the bottom of the hour um he coached gino ojik in milwaukee uh the one year that mike murphy was there before he, he graduated into the nhl so i'm curious to get murph's thoughts on on the late Gino Ojek coming up at the bottom of the hour. Meanwhile, this happens at a time for the Vancouver Canucks, Elliot, where it is turmoil, um, it is controversy. And the point that I was trying to make off the top of the program, this is one of those situations that nobody enjoys. Certainly Bruce Boudreaux doesn't enjoy this. Um, I can't think that Rick Tockett, watching this from afar, is enjoying how this is playing out. I don't think that Jim Rutherford is enjoying how things have gotten away here. Here's a Hall of Fame, here's a Hall of Fame person who's won Stanley Cups, you know, who's who's watching this story completely get away from him and have, you know, people look at, you know, Jim Rutherford in a different light. Patrick Alvin, the Vancouver Canucks organization. Like there's not there's not one person that takes any delight in what's happening with the Vancouver Canucks right now. Um, and we'll hear from Jim Rutherford in, in under an hour. He'll address the, the Tanner Pearson situation. You know, the, the one thing that I was thinking about over the weekend is the idea that you don't hit rock bottom. All you do is just decide to stop digging. You know, there probably will come a point, and you've talked about trying to do things all at once, where the Vancouver Canucks just have to decide to stop digging and just settle everything and almost, I mean, almost start fresh, don't they? Well, I think that's what they're trying to do. Like, I haven't uh, spoken to anybody there in uh, a bit. I think uh, I think it's it's one of those things, like, where when my number comes up on the phone, it's like, throw your phone to the bottom of the lake so that... <laughs> Nobody can see it. Um, uh, look, I, I, I think what their, their, their plan was, was to, uh, first of all, I don't think they wanted to make the coaching change on the road. That's what, uh, 
You know, someone said to me, if yeah. you um, if you can avoid it, you don't you don't make the change on the road. And the reason is that you know then you have to make the person fly all the way home, get their stuff, and and do whatever they want to do. So you really, if you really if you can avoid it, you really try to. And the other thing too is I think the Canucks are. Uh, trying to be able to present their plan of where this is going to go from here. And you, you want to do it once. And so, you know, I, I think that's what their goal was. And I get it. I do. Um, you know, look, I, I, you know, Ron and, and Kelly and Kevin and I spoke on Saturday on the show and we, you and I talked about it on the podcast this morning. I think we all feel that this has gone on for too long. And that, you know, maybe they should just make step one right away and not make Boudreaux have to wait like this. Um, And if there's changes on the staff, maybe those guys don't have to wait for this either. But, uh, you know, but I think this is what their plan was, to do it once and get it all out of the way at the same time. But, you know, I think when, I mean, some things you can keep quiet, some things you can't. I think the Canucks really tried to keep this quiet. I just didn't. I just think it got out. People heard it. Mm-hmm. Um, we know what's going to happen, and it's it's kind of altered the timeline. I mean, as you said, Rutherford's talking today because of the Tanner Pearson injury thing. I'm sure he'll be asked about some of the other business going around, and and what it means, and and we'll see what his answers are. You know, circling back, I thought a lot um, over the weekend and, and into today about you talk about how Vancouver, you know, didn't want to do this to, to Bruce Boudreaux while you're on the road. You know, there was once upon a time in the NHL where when you made a decision to fire your coach, if you were in the middle of an eight-game road trip or you're on a homestand, it didn't matter. Uh, you were getting fired. And I can't help but thinking, you know what really changed organizations totally around on firing coaches on the road? Gerard Gallant with the Florida Panthers in that game against Carolina hailing his cab ha- hailing a cab did so much damage to the Florida Panthers I think teams looked at that and said no way man I I we don't want that to happen here we're not doing this kind of business when the team and the coach are on the road we don't need the visuals uh, we don't need our own version of Gerard Gallant hailing his own cab to get to the airport that that's not a look any team wants you know what? That's a that's a really uh, that's a really good call, Jeff. I, I'd forgotten about that. I'll tell you about something about the aftermath of that, which always made me think very highly of Gerard Gallant. When that story was going like wildfire, he called me out of the blue yeah. to deny it because he felt terrible for their travel coordinator. Their travel coordinator was getting mm. destroyed in Florida, and he said, "I'm coming yeah. on the record with you, and I'm doing it." because I think what's happening to this guy is unfair. And that made me always think very highly about Gallant, that he would, because it would have been easy just to pile on. Now, the other thing too, Jeff, sure. I, I also wonder is, I, I wonder if with Taka with talk too, they're also lining up a staff for some other people they want to bring in. I don't know, if, because I don't necessarily know if he would be on the bench or anything, but we talked last night about uh, um, Sergey Gonchar. And the possibility that he could be part of all this. And I don't know if it's an assistant coach or an advisor or anything like that. But that one seems to be gaining a bit of steam. Um, I mentioned um, uh, Richard Matrichuk's name. Just as someone who's out there and has a good reputation as teaching defensemen. 
Um, but, you know, Gonchar has a tie-in with, with uh, Alvina and Rutherford and Tockett from Pittsburgh. So I wonder yep. if part of this, too, is we want to put it all together at once. We'll see. We'll see where this heads. Uh, the Jim Rutherford press conference will air it here in about 45 minutes. Uh, okay, elsewhere on the NHL, uh, some business done by Bill Guerin and the Minnesota Wild. Uh, Matt Boldy, holy smokes. Uh, you know, we all wondered, okay, Kevin Fiala's in L.A. Can, how much of an effect is that going to have on Matt Boldy? Uh, pretty much none. Uh, he is a really good hockey player on his own. Seven times seven. Uh, is the contract here, and you know we wonder what that means for other members of the Minnesota Wild. We know the cap hell that they're in between the the, the buyouts for for Suter and Parisi, etc. Um, but you've made the point uh, continually, and Bill Guerin continues to reinforce it with his actions. Uh, they're not treating this cap hell that they're in as any reason not to not to chase the Stanley Cup or not chase excellence. And they lock up Matt Boldy seven times seven. Your thoughts on this deal? We'll talk about the fallout in a second, but your thoughts on the deal initially? Well, I always say this too, uh, Jeff. If you have a cornerstone player or someone you believe to be a cornerstone player, you lock them up yeah. for as long as you can because the price doesn't go down. <clears throat> and so <laughs> this falls under that core belief of mine. <clears throat> if you believe that Matt Boldy is a cornerstone player of yours for a long time, you lock him up. And, you know, he's only, I mean, I hear, I've heard it all. Um, he's only played 89 games, you know, whatever. Uh, Bill Guerin sees what he sees, and he believes he's part of their group. And he's probably getting paid a bit more now, and the hope is that from the Wilds' point of view, he'll be underpaid in a few more years. And, uh, you know, I, I, I definitely believe that there's going to be pain to come for Minnesota, like this could mean the loss of, you know, one of their other forwards that they really like. But if you believe a player is a cornerstone player, you get him done mm -hmm. and you get him done as soon as possible. If I was running a team, I would always try to do that. Always. See, the, the thing that I wonder about here, considering that the Minnesota Wild are going to take a real good swing here uh, at, at doing some damage in the playoffs um, and we know the financial challenges this team is going to face as early as this offseason. Does that mean they're looking at players walking for nothing? You know, in, in some situations, have the room to resign them or you'd make a decision and say, well, you know what, uh, maybe it's maybe it's time to, to trade this person. We can't, you know, let him walk away and not get anything in return. That's that's bad asset management. What do you think this means for other Minnesota Wild players here? Um, given that, listen, Bill Guerin has given us no indication that he's doing anything other than going for it. Well, I think what it is is that, uh, well, you know, you when, when we did the interview with Kelly McCrimmon, you made the point about trading for cap space, right? And they, yes. they traded yes. uh, Matt, uh, Matt pa Max Pacioretty and Dylan Coughlin for nothing. And his argument was, mm. well, it allows them to have no. a team with Jack Eichel, and Alex Petrangelo and players yeah. around them, like that's his argument. You only so, like I like, like to me the interesting one is going to be Dumba, uh, because I think Garen, you know, he had he held like a state of the union on the weekend, and it, it's pretty clear from listening to it or reading the quotes anyway, that Garen is like we're in go for it mode. And I'm not making us worse, and that's kind of what I expected from him. 
And so I don't think he's trading Dumba unless he can get uh, either get a player back or it allows him to make another move for a player that he can win the Stanley Cup with, he feels. Like, like you know, like mm. one of the things I remember uh, about the Blues, for example, when they won the Cup, you have Doug Armstrong as GM, but among the people he talked to were Al McGinnis, Keith Kachuk, Rob DeMaio, yeah. like that group of people. And Al McGinnis said that he considered it his job to ask the question, what is this move going to do to your room? And I, and I think Bill Guerin thinks about that a lot. And if you make a move this year that's going to hurt your room when you have a chance to win, it's going to be a problem. So I think he looks at it as, like, like I think Bill Guerin's way of looking at things is, right now is, I'm trying to solve out my cap issue. That's why he was so aggressive with Boldy. But what that means for specific players this year, it's we don't get worse, and in the summer, it's who plays well in the playoffs. So could I see him flipping mm-hmm. Dumba for assets or another defenseman? Yeah, I could see that. But I think the whole caveat is, Jeff, does it make his team at least as good, if not better? Um, a couple of minutes here left with you. I, w- I want to ask about Seattle and I want to ask about the nature of, you know, something we talked about on the podcast, which is, we got a question about someone, has the NHL ever considered uh, a most improved player award? Uh, and someone from the league said, it sounds like a goofy idea. I've never heard anyone propose it in this league. Um, first of all, Seattle. Uh, they have a tough test today against the Tampa Bay Lightning. And if they lose, okay, that's fine because they're on this run right now. In a month that was supposed to destroy them with, you know, three, four-game weeks, this has just made them stronger, Elliot. Oh, yeah. This entire rip that the Seattle Kraken are on right now, um, who's impressed you? Who's stood out? Uh, What is it about Seattle that allows us on this day, you know, January 16th, to say this month didn't destroy Seattle. As a matter of fact, it made them better. Well, I mean, you, first of all, you make you sound like Obi-Wan Kenobi at the end of Star Wars. I know that's a really <laughs> hip reference. If you strike it's actually, me down it's today, actually take, Darth, it's, I will only yeah. become more powerful. It's it's actually sort of a it's my low key low rent version of Ernest Hemingway's uh, the world breaks everybody and sometimes people are strongest where they're wounded that's kind of how yeah, I look at the uh, at the Seattle Kraken right now. Well, I mean it's a really impressive story and uh, you know like one of the players that really stands out to me you know someone sent me a note Jared McCann is a forty goal scorer at age twenty six. Now, you, you, you think about these things sometimes deeper than I do. So he's been traded or exposed four times between his rookie season and his 25th birthday. One of two things will happen there. One, one of two things will happen to a player that that happens to. And it goes back to something you and I talked about years and years ago. There's going to come a time in everybody's career. It happened in my career. I'm sure it's happened in yours as well. Where you get to a spot and you say to yourself, and there's no obvious answer to this, and you say to yourself, I'm at a crossroads, and one of two things is the right decision, but no one's going to know what the right decision is for years to come, but you have to make the choice. 
And the choice is this, do I quit or do I work harder? And sometimes the right decision is to quit. I'll be honest. And sometimes the right decision is to work harder. Obviously, that's the decision Jared McCann has taken, and Seattle is the beneficiary of it. Well, I would say, when did you decide to quit? Like, was it six years ago? <laughs> well, I've been mailing it in for years, for each place. <laughs> six, try 10, maybe 15. <laughs> you know, one other thing I wanted to mention too, Jeff, is I, I think this is going to be a big week for Mark Stone and, uh, and maybe getting clarity mm. on what we're dealing with here. I, you know, I, I just heard that um, I, I don't think anyone's really sure yet. I, I think, like, the, like as Scott Oak said on Saturday night, he's listed week to week. But I don't think anyone's really sure what that means yet. And I think this week we'll, right. we'll get a better indication of, like, I, I hope it's not bad. I, I really don't. I don't think the, I don't think we need this. I, I don't like people getting hurt, and I don't like top players on good teams getting hurt and affecting playoff races. I like to see people healthy. But I have a feeling we're going to get a mm-hmm. better idea towards the end of this week what we're dealing with in terms of a timeline. Well, you, uh, you, you cross your fingers, certainly, yeah. um, for Mark Stone, who is one of the best two-way players in the entire game. Uh, and don't forget, too, Mark Stone was always an underdog story. This, it wasn't ex- yeah. as if this guy was a you know, top 10 first-round pick, slam dunk right in the NHL, light the league up, call their trophy kind of guy. One of the things I think that we've always admired about – well, there's, there's two things I've always admired about Mark Stone. One – the exemplary two-way winger he's turned himself into. And number two, I still can't believe he got up after getting hit by Dustin Bufflin like that so many years uh, ago. I, w- I was in that at that Winnipeg game. It sounded Ottawa like the game. worst car accident I ever heard. Oh, I don't know what kind of titanium you're made of to be able to get up from that. Uh, but anyhow, and he came back into the game. Uh, he's one of my favorite players. I know it's re- it's remarkable. He, he's one of my favorite players, full stop, and I, I certainly do, and I know you do, and everybody else hope for the, the best for his health. Um, one thing that, you know, just circling back, because I want to add a name to this list and get your thoughts on him, because I've, I've heard you mention him a couple of times, and so I want to see if we can get deeper in on this one. The idea of a most improved player in the NHL, other leagues do this, um, it's never been brought up in the NHL, as someone there told me. Uh, someone there told me is a goofy idea, Merrick. Um, but if there was a most improved player every year in the NHL, there'd be a number of names we'd, we'd look at. Listen, Tage Thompson is an obvious one. Uh, I think we'd look at Jake DeBrusque. I think we'd look at Vince Dunn. And would you put Jake Wallman, Detroit Red Wings defenseman, in that conversation as well? He's been real good for the Detroit Red Wings for each. Well, I would because he's the pride of Armor Heights, right? Okay, give us the Armor Heights story because every time I say his name, you go on about Armor Heights. So that's the neighborhood in Toronto I used to live in, and the Wallman family, Jake, lived not far from there. So he lived in uh, he lived in Armor Heights. We lived not far from each other. So I mean, I, not like I know them really well or anything like that, but certainly I, I met them a couple of times and uh, very nice right. people. And so whenever I see him, I, his dad's name is uh, Glenn. And when he got an extension in the summer, I, I tweeted out the pride of Armour Heights or he settled his arm case or whatever it was. <laughs> his father sent me a note saying that they really liked that pride of Armour Heights thing. So I always say it out loud now. I, I think Jake Wallman is a, a really good choice. But look, 
First of all, I would love yeah. to see a most improved player award. I, I think these things are fun. I th- it's very obvious that fans and media love debating them. So why not create yeah. something that creates positive debate for your sport? But just as the heart race is over, Connor McDavid is winning it. I'm pronouncing the heart race over. I think the uh, mm-hmm. I, I think Tage Thompson would run away with that this year. Like run away, like like Usain Bolt run away. <laughs> but you know, but here's the thing about here's the thing about trophies. I've al- I've always felt this way. We'll end on this one. Trophies are great for the players. Trophies are great for the teams. You know what trophy? What umbrella trophies fall under? Marketing. It's great marketing for your league because it respects and elevates greatness and yeah. elite level play. And I I don't think anything like most improved player is a goofy idea. I think it's I like a it. really good one, and it, recogni- it re- recognizes players. You know, in, like look at all the names we can throw out there. You know, uh, I mentioned Dunn, I mentioned DeBrusque, Tage Thompson would run away with this thing, but I'm sure everyone listening or watching right now has their own list and is going to tweet at me saying, "Hey, Merrick, dummy, what about blank?" Or, "Hey, how dare you forget about this guy?" Etc. I, I think it's I think it's buzz. I think it creates it creates uh, talking points, and I think it's a really deserving award. For someone, um, you know, whether it is, you know, Don or DeBrusque or Thompson or whomever, or Jake Wallman, just just as a, an acknowledgement of someone who's stepped up their play throughout the season. The more that I think well, about it, I'm really talking to myself. And I, I kind of looked at it as a little bit goofy when we got the question, but I'm talking myself into this thing over the last 24 hours for each. Well, you know, first of all, it's like not even in the top 50 of your awful ideas. So it's a good idea. <laughs> and like, like I, uh-huh. I like it. I really like I'm with you. Why not? People love talking about this stuff. Like, how many articles, yeah. how many times in a year does a reporter say, oh, I got nothing to write about. It's ten, we're, we're 10 games in. Let's do who's ahead of the awards. <laughs> I shot all my bullets. What are we going to talk about? Awards. We're at the 20-game yeah. mark. Let's do it. That's, um, that's what we do. Okay. Yes. We got we got a punt. We'll uh, we'll stay tuned for the Jim Rutherford press conference here in about thirty minutes. Thanks for each. You take care. Right. We'll check back tomorrow. Take care, buddy. See you later. There he is, Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night in Canada and Thirty Two Thoughts.